Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's Karina here. Before we get into the show, I'm so excited to let you know that my book, Spirit Sisters, the book that started it all, has been re-released in a 10th anniversary edition and it's available now. I really can't wait for you all to discover this book that's so close to my heart. And if you pick up a copy, I'd love to hear what you think. Find it at any good bookstore. I didn't go to sleep. I didn't have time to go to sleep. Probably a few minutes and I was sort of getting warm and and dozy. And these hands started touching me. You're listening to The Ghost Files, the podcast where everyday people share their extraordinary experiences of the spirit world. My name is Karina Machado. I'm a journalist who spent more than a decade telling true stories about mysteries and marvels through my books, Spirit Sisters, Where Spirits Dwell and Love Never Dies, and more recently through my podcasts, Spirit Sisters and this show, The Ghost Files. My guest today has a chilling story to share about an unforgettable chain of events that took place in 1969 when she was 12 years old and living with her family in the western suburbs of Melbourne. I love this story because it demonstrates that in an otherworldly encounter, as much as in everyday life, things aren't always as they might at first appear. Hello Coral and welcome to The Ghost Files. Hello, Karina. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you today, and I'm eager for you to unpack your story for us. But before you do, please share a little about who you are and what your life is today. I'm a 63-year-old lady, and I've just come to the end of my working life. I retired at the end of last year. My occupation before I retired was as an early childhood educator. And I cared for babies, toddlers and preschoolers. Wow. You know, when you told me that, that your career was in childcare, I just thought it was interesting, Coral, given that your story takes place in your childhood and is about you. Well, we won't give it away, shall we? But it was just an okay. interesting link. Uh, when it you is told an interesting me. link. Do you agree? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, let's time travel back to the winter of 1969 when you were 12 years old. What was life like for you back then? Well, I have two older brothers and a younger sister, about two and a half years between each of us. We had a very challenging childhood. We had a lot of issues. My father had a lot of issues, a lot of very serious issues with him, and that did not fare well for family life. We moved around a lot, but we moved around the same area. We're in the western suburbs of Melbourne, and we moved pretty much from street to street. We lived in more than 50 houses, but we went, always went to the same school. Oh, my gosh, that is an incredible amount of moving around, 50 homes. That is, or more, yep. yeah. Life is okay. You know, my brothers and sisters, we're all in it together. We're all going through the same thing, and we all stuck together. Mm. 
So this house that we moved into in 1969, we had not been there for very long. We moved in there probably June or July. That was when the moon landing happened. So I remember we were in that house when the moon landing occurred. Do you remember watching it? I do remember watching it, but it wasn't at my my house, and my house was near the school. So in those days, of course, we didn't have media rooms and things like they have now, so the nuns uh, sort of farmed us out to to houses near the school. And uh, I hit the jackpot. I went to the girl that owned the milk bar. So <laughs> we we uh, we watched the man walking on the moon, um, eating mollies and ice creams. It was great. I remember it very very clearly. You did yeah. hit the jackpot. <laughs> so describe the house that you were in at this moment when the the experience that you're about to share before that unfolds. It was in a street of very old houses. These probably the houses were pre 1900, probably the late 1890s these places were built. Edwardian houses, maybe they were called. Okay. No California bungalows, not, none of those things. But this house that we lived in was not like any of those houses in the street, completely different. It was built probably before people had cars because it did not have a driveway for a car. Okay. It had the two little, two little walkways on each side of the house. So the very high-pitched roof, like an A-framed pitched roof, white weatherboard and a little portico, like you see in the little English homes, a little portico over the front door, the same shape as the roof. Okay. Had a window each side, door in the middle, window each side. When you look in the front door in the, most of those old homes, you look right to the back door, right down the, the passage to the back door with rooms on each side. That's how that house was. So uh, on the left-hand side, you had the lounge room, bedroom and kitchen, all off a hallway. None of this open living thing like you have now. And little sideways on each each side, little walkways Mm -hmm. to get to the back of the house. Mm. No driveway. Mm. All these old homes had lanes at the back of them so that maybe the milkman or whoever in the old days could come up the back of the lanes and deliver milk and things like that. That's how old these suburbs are. And, Coral, one day a man came to the door. Mm-hmm. This was, uh, I remember, it was uh, probably through the week. Now, I don't know why I was home. I was I was there with, with my mother. He come to the door, knocked on the door, and Mum and I went to the door. And my mother actually opened the wire door as well. And he said to mum a name, which obviously I can't remember, uh, does a woman named so-and-so live here? And uh, mum said, no, I don't know anyone by that name. She said, my husband and, and myself and my children have just moved in here. We haven't been in here that long, probably a matter of weeks. I don't know anything. I didn't know anyone that lived in, in the house before, she said to this man. But as she's talking to this man, he wasn't looking at my mother. He was looking over her shoulder and his eyes were darting down the passage from side to side. And I noticed this because we'd always been taught that when somebody's talking to you, you look at them. And uh, I I remember very clearly thinking to myself, what's he looking for? What's he looking at, you know? 
And uh, this didn't go on for, <clears throat> for very long. And uh, so mum said, no, I don't know, don't know anyone. And she started to sort of get a little bit impatient in her voice and he asked her again. She said, no, I don't know that person. Thank you. And she closed the door. What did he look like? Uh, he was a big set man. He was a tall man and he had a big round face. He had a knitted beanie on his head and he was carrying like a rucksack. Not a bag, but like a rucksack, like an old-fashioned swag. Mm, okay. Over his over his shoulder. So what happened next, Coral? We didn't think any more of that. And I remember it was a Saturday night. How long after? And well, this was probably maybe the same week. Okay. If this was through the week, and I, I do remember it was, I do remember it was a weekday. Could have been a Queen's birthday. Could have been anything like that. Mm-hmm. On the Saturday. Mum and I were watching TV. The, the lounge was in the front room of the house. My father was in bed. My two brothers were in bed. My sister, who always went to bed early, was in bed. And our bedroom was behind the lounge room on the left side of the house. Okay. So watching telly, it must have been, oh, you know, it was, it was getting late. And uh, we're watching, I remember watching even a gangster movie. A gangster movie, okay. A gangster movie. It sounds quite strange for a 12-year-old girl, but it was a gangster movie. So and you, and you were... liked staying up late at night with your mum, didn't you? Yes. Mm. I, I'm, a, I'm a night owl. I'm still a night owl now, but I do get up early in the morning. In those days, I was a night owl, but I couldn't get up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, my sister was exactly the opposite. Uh, so anyway, we were, we were watching TV. We had a, an open fire. It was a briquette fire. That had been on all day. So the fire was going down. My mother didn't put any more briquettes on there because, you know, let the, let the fire go down. It didn't burn when we were in bed. Yep. And uh, I said, Mum, I feel as though there's some somebody watching through the window. So she didn't say anything. She just got up straight away. And they were, they were drapes, like heavy old drapes over this window and she pushed the drapes together like overlapped the, the drapes mm-hmm. on the front window and uh, that was that and so the movie finished and mum said all right well we better go to bed she said you get into bed and then once you're in bed I'll turn off the lights and then I'll go to bed she turned off the lights and it, it was cold they were cold houses they were weatherboard houses there was no heating only the fire in the one room so it was pretty cold in those days living in those old houses so I got into bed and my sister was asleep when I got into bed I always said good night to my sister because I was hoping that she'd be awake so that we could talk Mm -hmm. so if she answered me I'd start talking and then she'd start talking but no answer so I thought no she's asleep so I tucked myself in under the blankets and closed my eyes. I didn't go to sleep. I didn't have time to go to sleep. Probably a few minutes and I was sort of getting warm and, and dozy and these hands started touching me. I didn't, didn't open my eyes. I was, I was scared. I thought, whoa, what's that? They started like gently first and then... When I wasn't responding, there were hands like going up, very, very cold hands, going up and down my arms, onto my neck. And not going up my arms over my pyjamas, 
I could feel the hands, the cold hands, on my skin, but I had long sleeve pajamas on. My goodness. And I could feel the fingers. When I wasn't responding, the, the, the fingers started sort of not pushing into my skin, but they become more firmer onto my skin. And, and they, the hands went up on my head. I had very, very long hair. The hands went up on my head and sort of stroked my hair. I don't know how long this had gone on for, but it seemed like so long. I thought, what do I do? And I was like frozen with fright, with fear. I thought, okay, I've got to get, I've got, to, I've got to get up. I've got to sit up and scream, but I've got to make sure that everyone hears my scream, because if nobody hears my scream, this thing, whatever it is, will know that I'm onto it. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I was, I was so frightened. Mm. So you're conscious. You're thinking. You're, you're. Oh, yeah, going everything through. was. Yeah. Everything was going through my head. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I've got to do this. And I, I did. I was very, very brave, I was, actually. <laughs> and I, I sprang up, sitting on the bed, you know, like when you, you, you're laying down, you spring up, so half your body's, you know, you, you're sitting up in bed. As I did that, there was a, a, an old lady at the end of my bed. And she was sort of, we were sort of eye level. So I don't know whether she was, she wasn't sitting, she was standing, but of course I couldn't see her legs. She was from waist up. Okay. And the room was dark because I had the blind, the blind was down. Um, it, was, it was a dark room. I saw this lady perfectly, like a real lady. So like a flesh and blood person standing like a, there. Like a flesh and, yes, like yeah. a flesh and blood person. I screamed the house down. I screamed the house down. Now, obviously, when I, I, I'd sat, sat up, the hands had stopped. And here's the lady, obviously, the lady with the cold hands standing at the end of my bed. When I screamed and I was looking at her, she smiled at me, but just a gentle smile, not a laugh or a mocking smile, just a nice, gentle smile. And then she left. She disappeared. She just disappeared, so it was no fading out or was walking no out? no fading okay. out, no. She just went. Describe her in a bit more detail, what she looked like, what age, what she was wearing. She, obviously not a very tall woman, because if she was standing, we, we were eye to eye, so she wasn't a tall person. She had sort of dark hair, probably a little bit of grey in her hair. She had her hair up in a bun. She was wearing very old-fashioned clothes. She had like probably like an old embroidered sort of top, like a high collar. This was 1969, so this wasn't any fashion of mm. of 1969 or not even of the 1900s probably. So what era and, would you would you guess? Uh, I would probably say maybe the 1880s, the 1890s okay. maybe. It wasn't even wasn't even in the 1900s, very old. And the clothes did not look like the clothes of a wealthy person. The clothes looked like the clothes of a just a, a working person, like working people's clothes, not rich clothes. Okay. But she had a, a shawl around her shoulders and she was holding the shawl, but I could see the, the high collar of her dress uh, under the shawl. She wasn't European. 
because I have European grandparents. I've seen plenty of old European ladies. She was not European. She looked more like an English type lady. Okay. And she had a nice face. She had when I when I you know did sort of look at her in the face, the smile was soft. The smile was um, like you know as much as to say, well, you know, you've woken up now. I've done my job. Right. So it's an incredible amount of detail that you've gathered in this split-second viewing. That's what I'm finding so extraordinary. Mm. Mm. Well, it, it probably wasn't a split second. It was, it was a few seconds, Okay, I would say. And it seemed to, you know how something happens and something lasts? It yes. goes very quickly, but it seems to last longer. Yes. They say you're in another bit of a time split or something. Mm. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Mm. Well, they say that there's no time where they are, you know, in the spirit mm. world. So, mm. Mm. But it was like she had her own energy. Yes. Had, it was like she had her own light. Yes, I was about to ask that. It sounds like she had her own light source. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, when I, you know, think about it in an adult perspective, she's had her own power company there with her, <laughs> her own mobile power company. <laughs> and and it doesn't sound, Coral, like you were afraid of her when you saw her. When I saw her, I wasn't, I was, I, I screamed because of the hands. Yeah. I, I screamed because of the hands. But when I saw her, I was not scared as much because she had a very nurturing face. She and you know, and and now I think about it, but I didn't really think about it then. She wasn't there to frighten me. She was there to do something else for me. Mm-hmm. And probably she had to go to extreme measure to frighten me to for me to to get up and scream and, and alert the house. When I screamed, my sister, of course, in the next bed, woke up. Uh, She was only, I was 12. My sister was not even 10. So she screamed, wondering what was going on. My mother and father ran in and my two brothers ran in. And, you know, I was, I I told told them what what had happened with the hands and what I had seen. So they were in there for a little while. My father went back to bed. The boys went back to bed. I was still quite shaken by by this, and Mum said, "I'll I'll stay in with you until you go to sleep." So Mum got into bed with me. Coral, what did they say when you said what you'd experienced and what you'd seen? Did they believe you? Yes. Okay. Yes, because we'd had. We we have a lot of experiences prior to this one, and many more after this one into my adult life, and so of my siblings, and so of my mother. So it wasn't anything, wasn't anything too out of the ordinary. That's intriguing. Mm. Okay, we might come back to that if we've got time. But mm-hmm. how did you manage to get back to sleep that night? Well, as I said, Mum got in with me, mm-hmm. and um, she she 
you know, sort of cuddled me quite close and I felt safe, always felt safe with my mother and um, I was very close to my mother and always felt safe with her and I, I did go back to sleep only because my mother was there. I wouldn't have gone back to sleep, I don't think, if if, uh, if she wasn't, if she didn't do that, I probably wouldn't. I probably would have gotten to bed with my sister. Yep. Mm. All right. And so tell us, what happened the next morning? Uh, the next morning, um, it, it being winter in Melbourne, it's it, very cold and we used to get a lot of rain. It rained all the time in Melbourne when I was a child. And we see a lot of fogs. Uh, the next morning, my father was doing something around the sideway. Now, when you walk down the left-hand sideway of the house, past the, uh, the the lounge room, we had a little gate, just like a little trellisy type wooden gate. But that gate, you could walk past our bedroom window and then you come to the gate. You did not have to open the gate to get near our bedroom window. I see. So he was... He was doing something. It was just a little gate to stop people from going into the backyard, but not to stop people from climbing in a, a bedroom window. And uh, he was doing something down the sideway. Could have been picking up something because it had rained a lot the, the, the previous night. And he, for some reason, looked at the window and they were sash windows, old sash windows. Do you know what they are? Yes, that you, you pull up and down? You pull, you yeah. pull up and, and down and, and when they work properly, they stay up. When they don't work properly, you have to put sticks in the windows. Yeah. They've, got a little, they've got a little lock, Yes. little circular lock. So near the, the, the top of the, the, the sash window where the lock goes, and they're all old wooden trims, the uh, window, someone had tried to jemmy open the window. And this was your bedroom with, window? This was my bedroom window mm-hmm. on the side of the house. Yeah, it was just one single window, like in an old house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and it, it looked like the tools, of, like, a, like a chisel. You know when you're chiseling wood off? Yes, yes. One of those little flat chisel things. And it was quite a quite a good job being done on it as well. So the wood had been chipped away at there around the, wood the lock. Been, the wood had been chipped away around the lock, trying to get into the into the lock to, you know, maybe he did not want to smash the window, you know, and cause a cause a big noise. But um, so yeah, he just ch- was chiseling away, chiseling away mm. at the at the wood around the lock. It's chilling, Coral. Mm. And then, so we called the, my father called the police. Uh, the police come to the house at, that morning, that Saturday morning, uh, the Sunday morning. And um, they looked around and mum had mentioned to them that, you know, my daughter thought that there was somebody looking in the front window. So when we went to look near the front window, there was a little garden bed near the front window. And with all the rain, there were two great big boot imprints in in the mud, mm-hmm. in the in the in the wet soil, right onto the window. Right onto the window. 
So, um, you know, there's obviously somebody looking through the window and then maybe whoever it was saw the TV go off, the light of the TV go off and come around to the side window and who knows? Who knows? How did you feel when you found out that there had been somebody trying to get into your house, indeed into your window that night? Quite unnerving because we had a lot on our plate anyway. So to, to, to have this happen, it was just another awful thing in our lives. And it was only my sister and I, two little girls in that bedroom. And my mind just started racing. What, what if I hadn't have screamed? What if those cold hands didn't come and wake me up or, or not wake me up because I wasn't asleep, but alert me to this thing that was going on outside to nobody's knowledge? How did it feel as a 12-year-old to be trying to piece these things together, that these hands woke you up and potentially saved your life on that night, this psychic experience, this otherworldly experience? How did you process that? Um, as I said, these things, weren't, uh, these things weren't surprising, but that, was, that, that incident for me, that was quite full-on for me, but we'd had other little... More abstract things happen in in before that, um, but I was a, a quite a mature girl. I was a very quiet girl, mm-hmm. and I was a a big thinker. Mm. I was a very deep thinker, and I process things in my mind. I I'm very pedantic even today. I you know, I go step by step, and I was—I've been like that. I've been told by everyone that I was born old. Born old, yeah. Old, yeah. You've old got, soul. You're, you're yeah. Born, oh, yeah. yeah, you're born old. You yeah, know? yeah. And a fortnight later, something happened. There's a postscript to this. Yep, there was a murder of a young woman in our suburbs, not in that little suburb where we lived, but uh, in the area, the same area, probably a suburb or, or so away. And um, a young a young woman murdered at her house where and yeah where she where she lived. How did you find out about that? That was on the the news. And that was on the news. In your heart, do you feel that there's a connection? Yes, I do. Yep. The uh, I'm not aware that uh, there's uh, there's no confirmation. This is 50 years ago mm. as well, that the, that man was never caught. When, when my mother gave uh, the, uh, to the police the what he looked like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, she did say that he did look like a merchant seaman, mm-hmm. how he was dressed. Because we lived not that far from, well, Port Melbourne in those days was, all uh, merchant seamen, a lot of seamen coming in and out of Port Melbourne. And, they, you know, they'd come in and they'd stay in uh, boarding houses and uh, and then go back out, you know, out back onto their to their ships. And there was a lot of people, a lot of men coming and going in those suburbs and they were merchant seamen. That's what my mother described to the place. He looked like a merchant seaman. Okay. Do you believe that know. that man was that man that you saw that day 
that was looking back into your corridors of your home and not looking mm. at your mother as she spoke. Do you think that was the man that tried to break into your home? Definitely. Mm. Okay. And what about the old lady who appeared at the foot of your bed? Who do you think she might have been? I, I don't have a clue. So she could have been an ancestor going further back or she may have been, who knows? It is such well, a mystery, a spirit guide or an angel in, who knows? But definitely not a European lady, an old English looking lady. So it could be some of my ancestors, mm. could be nothing to do with my family. Could have just been a helpful spirit that thought, oh, this family need help. Yes. Let's go. Yes. Yeah. Because she helped you. We can go further and say that she saved your life. She did pretty much. If I hadn't have sat up and screamed, or if I had have just gone to bed that night and gone to sleep, I really think that we would have been in trouble. It's an amazing story and we are so delighted to have had you on the show today. Thank you so much, Coral. Thank you, Karina. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Ghost Files. If you have a story that you'd like to share with me, I'd love to hear it. Please email me at karinamachado at optusnet.com.au. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.